Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello, people of Cork. Hello. I really should say men of Cork. Well, I don't think any woman has said uh, <laughs> No, no. There's, no, that's not all. All right, tomorrow night at Turner's Cross, the Republic of Ireland players get a final shot at convincing Martin O'Neill that they should be on the plane to Paris. Is everybody nice and pumped about the Euros? That's the spirit. Before we get stuck into it, I think we need to explain, Ken, what was going on in the incredible photograph that we've been using to advertise this show. Yeah, it's a very iconic, I think is the word, uh, photograph of Christy Ring from 1952. Uh, this is the hurling genius who all the people in the room here showed it here uh, just thinking about. Uh, there is a story... About this photo, uh, the examiner uh, tracked down the blood and bandage lady as she was uh, known 64 years later. So here she is now, uh, Rita Larry, she's 90 years old, and she told of her friendship with uh, Christy, who sent her many letters and cards over the years. Here's a quote from the piece Rita was a keen collector of GAA photos and newspapers, and she maintained a scrapbook dedicated to Ring. He sent her letters and Christmas cards, though she burned them when she married. Uh, <laughs> not. Not that there was anything in them to be hiding, she laughs. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that's what happened okay, there. Okay, fair enough, yeah. We're going to ratchet we up the... You can only take the woman at her word, I suppose. We're going to ratchet up the excitement levels with an incredible lineup tonight, including the recently retired Stephen Hunt, former Ireland manager Brian Kerr. Ken, you're just back from Milan yourself. I'm not going to ask you about the food over there. I assume it was good, but yeah. how, was the, how was the game well, and the aftermath? Are. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was, I thought it was a great game. I was talking to my mother when I got back, and she said, that was a boring game, wasn't it? Uh, I, she doesn't know anything about football. I thought it was, I th- I thought it was fantastic. Simeone, uh, Diego Simeone, I feel kind of so sorry for. It's like he's been sort of trying to tinker with the loser DNA of Atletico Madrid and like sort of insert some winner genes. But Mother Nature is angry. Uh, because <laughs> he's, he's, the thing that he's created is like, um, I don't know if you've ever seen The Fly with Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That sort of horrible mutant hybrid stage between half human, half fly. It's like they beat all the best teams in the world on the way to the final, only to lose in the worst possible circumstances to the worst possible opponents. I never saw Diego Simeone eating his own fingernails, though. Uh, That's a fly well, reference for everyone. Yeah. Who <laughs> 
I should have realised that I was the only person who said, yes, I have seen The Fly Staring, Jeff Goldblum. I have to say, I, go again. I quite liked Sergio Ramos when he came in. He, he, he came in to do... Well, like this a, is a sea change. I, I know, I know. He was the man of the match. You know, obviously, he was the man of the match. And uh, he comes in, like, it was about a quarter to two in the morning. Everyone assumed he'd already gotten the plane, but he suddenly arrived in. He's like, oh, I've just been at doping, whatever. And, uh, Sorry, just been at doping control. Doping control. Yeah. Doping, anti-doping, anti-doping. <laughs> And, uh, you know, he, he, was, he was quite... He was like kind of a big kid. He was kind of infectious, you know, in his way. Like, uh, you know, maybe still not the, the brightest player I've ever you know, seen. Uh, but, uh, but you can kind of see his importance to that team, you know, in, in his, in his uh, character, his spirit. You talked about Ramos. What about Ronaldo? I had a vision, he said, after the game. Yeah, and the vision was of him scoring a goal. Uh, unsurprisingly enough, there's uh, Ronaldo... Uh, taking spot. I mean, this is just amazing. It's one of the worst performances he's ever given. And it culminates in this perfect ending, which is just him. Nobody else, literally just him and the camera and his muscles and no shirt. And everybody kind of jumps on him there. I don't think we've got the full footage of this, but he was lying on the ground there. For a long time. Fully a minute and a half. I mean, all the teammates got up after, you know, 30, 40 seconds and went off to celebrate. You know, they're also people. They have their, their own minds. They, they went to, to do that. Uh, Pepe was the only one uh, that was left. And this was all happening down one end. Pepe actually got a selfie stick. Did you see that? Yeah. Oh. Um, he, he's just... But at the other end, there was this awful um, yet beautiful scene of uh, poor old Juan Fran, the Atletico player who missed the penalty. I mean, he had, he had actually scored the winning penalty when they beat PSV 8-7 on penalties. There he is, the only man uh, kind of coming up to uh, basically say... I'm really sorry about that. I'm really sorry that I destroyed all your dreams today, tonight. And uh, every single one of those fans is getting up to applaud uh, that poor man, one friend, which I think we can see just... I mean, I literally have never seen anything as miserable as that. That's amazing. So hang on. Where is the rest of the team, the rest of the Atletico team at this stage? They're just leaving him they, to go and... Well, they didn't notice at first because, you know, obviously, I suppose you miss it. You don't really want to necessarily be with anyone. And then he, he obviously kind of decided himself to go over and do this. And it was only when they heard everyone applauding that they kind of looked around and saw what was happening. And then they all came over and had a big kind of group hug. And it was like, oh, you know, it's okay. We're going to be okay. And then Simeone came into the press conference afterwards like, oh, well, I've got to think seriously about my future after that. <laughs> I, I can't keep doing this. You know, this project may be coming to an end very soon. Did, um, I mean, you saw Ronaldo struggling badly through most of the game. Gareth Bale going down with cramp a couple of times. In extra. Did you actually think Atletico, it's kind of just a big, it's a bit grim, isn't it, that Real managed to eat, win yeah. that one. I mean, that was one yeah. that Atletico should have taken home. With them. It's just so sickening for Atletico Madrid to do all the dirty work of beating Bayern Munich and uh, Barcelona, who both undoubtedly would have beaten Real Madrid in that final, only to have Madrid with this sort of lordly entitlement just just, just roll in and snatch it away. Um, it, it was, I thought it was awful. But I mean, in terms of, I, I thought they really kind of had them on the ropes. You know, I thought they were going to finish it off. But I remember watching it in the second half, and I was just sitting there with this incredible tension. You know, like this stomach is churning, heart is pounding, palms is sweating, every cliche, you know, of stress in the book. So what it was actually like for them with, with everything at stake in the way it was, I can kind of understand them sort of backing off a bit and saying, OK, we'll, we'll take this to penalties, and <laughs> obviously Ronaldo's going to score the winning penalty, but that's what they decided. Was Zidane impressive post-match? No, actually, I thought he was, he, he was like a kind of corporate drone. Uh, I was and therefore the perfect Real Madrid manager. Well, I don't know. I mean, there, were the, 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 there was talk during the week that Fiorentino Perez was already bored of him. 
It's like, oh, I'm not sure about Zidane. You know, I want to get Unai Emery, the Sevilla coach. Uh, I'm not sure about Zidane. Like, he'd won 21 out of 26 games or something uh, and got to the Champions League final. Um, but I was reading, actually, Carlo, Carlo Ancelotti has a new book out. I was reading it on the way back. And he's quite critical of Zidane in the only way that Carlo Ancelotti can ever be critical of anyone, which is to say, very understatedly, uh, but he talks about Zidane's great relationship that he had with the president. He also, I mean, on the previous page, he's been talking about how his most difficult job at Real Madrid was shielding the players from the president. And then he talks about Zidane, his assistant's great relationship with the president. So you can kind of see Zidane is good at politics, but I don't know how good at, you know... Well, all he has to do is be good at saying yes to Ronaldo. Because this is essentially what Ronaldo said. I had this vision that I was going to take the fifth penalty and score it. So I said to Zidane, maybe... Oh boy, Ronaldo here should take that fifth penalty. And Zidane said, "Sounds like sounds like a plan." Well, it's true. It's, I mean, it's all about who you are, really. Uh, as, in terms of being the Real Madrid coach, it's all about who you are. It's not really about what you do. Well, it's a little bit about what you do, but the, the important thing is not sort of teaching them how to play or coaching them in the usual way that a coach coaches a team. It's literally getting out of the way and trying to make them all feel good. You know, Carlo Ancelotti. I keep talking about Ancelotti for some reason, but he mentioned he, he was saying basically when he went to Real Madrid. Actually, Ronaldo talks about him. Ronaldo was saying. Uh, you know, I thought Carlo Ancelotti looked like such a tough guy. I'd already seen photos of him. He looks really tough. I was thinking, is it, does he really look that tough? Uh, I, I knew that he was an Italian, so I expected that when he came in, it would be really tactical. But he basically never worked on tactics with us at all. But he did at all his other clubs. He just understood that you go to Real Madrid, there's no point in doing that. If you're, you have, a, you're a vibes man, basically. Yeah, you've got, the best, you've got a, a bunch of guys. They're the best players in the world. And if they're not, they think they are. And if you try to give them any coaching, it's just going to annoy them. Like this is, that's the difference between Rafael Benitez and, and Zidane. He tried to coach him. Zidane just says, listen, guys, you know, do what, do what you feel. If I was to suggest to you guys that before the end of the night, right here in Crane Lane Theatre in Cork, you could witness a special live edition of the most divisive slot in world podcasting, what would you say? It has them fighting in the streets of New York still after the last time you put it out live. Do you want Ken's Goose? Yeah. Does anyone not want Ken's Goose? Okay, if you really want it, everyone give us, on the count of three, Ken's Ghouls. One, two, three. Ken's Looks like we'll have Ken's Ghouls by the end of the night. All right, you're listening to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast with Rabo Direct in front of a brilliant live crowd here in Cork City. I think we've all got one thing on our minds. Torres scores! Shea given only to David Silva. David Silva scores. I don't think they're going to catch Fernando Torres. Can he beat Given? Yes, he can. It's 3-0. That's four. So I think the players and, and even the supporters, they all have to change their mentality. Congratulations, take the applause of that crowd. We're a small country and listen, we're up against it, but let's not just go along for the sing song every now and again. 
Yeah, just in case you missed the news last week, by the way, we will be podcasting like crazy over the course of the Euros. Shows every day, Monday to Friday. Around the cross, please, for sports shows. Dion Fanning has made his way here. Dion, you've come from Turner's Cross, from the Irish camp. Yeah. Uh, maybe you can fill us in a little bit on the injury news, first of all. Yeah, the big news is Robbie Keane, who has uh, pulled a, a calf muscle, won't play tomorrow. Uh... There's a little bit of a frenzy going around that he might not make the squad at all. I, I think he will. Um, but does, you know, because he didn't play on Friday night, there's been some stories that he was unhappy not to play on Friday night in what could have been his final game in Dublin. And uh, now that he's injured, will Martin O'Neill take a risk with a player who has you know, gone to the margins on the, on the Irish team? Uh, and... You know, if it was any other player, you'd say he was he he wasn't uh, was was a doubt. But it's Robbie Keane, and I, I think he should go. Do you think? He, you, you, why do you think he should go? I mean, assuming he's uh, assuming he's at least half injured, why he's, why are you saying he should still go? Well, partly because whoever comes in to take his place isn't going to play much either. Yeah. You know, it, it's not a, it's not a, it's not as if there's a sort of a, a you know a Jamie Vardy figure like in the background that isn't getting a look in if 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 Robbie doesn't if Robbie doesn't come in go will Kevin Doyle come in he's you know he's been a, a good servant for Ireland but I don't think he's going to play much either but I also think Robbie Keane's uh, experience what he's going to give to the squad um, I don't want to say around yes. the hotel but yes. around the hotel he's uh, so he's, I mean when you're saying he's he's stretched, he's, he's kind of uh, drifted to the periphery not, 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 not around the hotel. He he has, yeah, exactly. He's still, he's still kind of the center, the central figure in the squad, really, the senior player in the, in the squad. Yeah. But is that enough if, if he can't actually play to, to warrant him actually going with the squad? I mean, maybe it's sometimes it's good to... I'm not, I'm not campaigning for his ejection here, but I'm saying, you know, so, you know if he can't actually play, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I don't, I, th- I don't think it will be worth it at this point. I, I don't actually disagree with you. I think logically... You know, you can make a really good case for Robbie Keane not being in the squad, uh, but at this point, considering the alternatives to make the, the squad selection about the exclusion of Robbie Keane would kind of seem to be unnecessary, given the for 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 what what you're doing in in, in uh, the alternatives. You know, there isn't there isn't anything. That's what I mean. There isn't any huge alternative. You're saying this is a big call uh, that you know we bring in somebody else who's going to do a lot more, who's going to play a lot more. I don't see that happening. So I, I don't think O'Neill should make the squad selection about the exclusion of Robbie Keane. Maybe before now, you could have you could have said right, phase him out. But I think it's I think it's too late at this stage. Well, that's interesting because it makes for a big story if Robbie Keane was to be left out and a potentially disruptive one. I mean, would you be worried about how it, it's Robbie Keane would not, I imagine, be a very easy man to tell that he's not getting on that plane to France. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, it would, be, it would be quite hard to do that. Uh, yeah, I think it would be disruptive. And again, for, for, for what? There isn't... There aren't... The Ireland squad isn't so... Like, there's, you kind of know who's going to... You kind of know the Ireland team. You know the sort of 14 or 15 players who are going to play in the tournament, um, you know, unless there's a kind of you know, run of injuries. But that's why I suppose you need your backup players to be fully fit, so that if there is a run of injuries, but the back, in the yeah, third game, that you, you you actually have fit players rather than a half fit player who who's played his best football. 
but the, I, I think I think he's you know Robbie Keane is so far down the pecking order, but anyone who comes in to replace him will be too. So it's that's it's it's a sort of unnecessary. Uh, it would make an unnecessary sort of scene at this point. Okay, well, some big calls for Martin O'Neill to make outside of Robbie. There's a man waiting backstage who knows what it's like to walk in those shoes. Can we please welcome former Public of Ireland manager, Brian Kerr! Brian, how are you? Very good. Good to be in Cork. Good to hear. Good to I hear. Think was the last? Uh, what was the last international match in Cork? Not senior. Do, was an under twenty one match here? Because we had the under nineteen match. Under it was 19 an England match. B, Ireland B, England B, four one. Oh, no, wasn't that Nineteen ninety. Oh, yeah. yeah. We got a great nil nil here one night with Holland. They got us through to the finals in uh, Turner's Cross. I'd say it was the last time the place was really, really full. Well, tell us, I know you were at the Champions League final before we get back to the Euro squad. Uh, Ken was, was talking a little bit about it there. Were you, did you have a good spot? He was in the posh seats. I was behind the goal with the Real crowd. Uh, Are you a big Real Madrid fan? Absolutely not. So what were you doing, what were you doing in there? What happened? Yeah, it's the way it goes. If you get tickets in the fair, we should take your chances. So were you, were you, were you joining in? No, what? It wasn't a lot, of me po- a lot of point of me asking the FAI for a ticket, was there? <laughs> <laughs> Were you joining in with all that awful baiting of poor old Jan Oblak, the goalkeeper, who, who seemed to be quite frightened and, and not sure what to do during that penalty shootout? Yeah, I was, just, I was in line with him, actually, so saw the penalties quite well. It was a fabulous match. I, I, I don't know how it was from your view. I thought it was really good, yeah. I yeah, it was great. yeah. No, I thought it was absolutely Brilliant, brilliant match, and uh, I felt sad for Atletico. But I, um, I watched the two matches with PSV quite slowly, closely. You, ma- you mentioned one of them earlier. I didn't think they were good enough that night to get to the final or to maybe win it. When other people who maybe weren't watching the matches said, "Oh, I think they'll win it this year." Two nil all draws with PSV didn't suggest that they were going to win it, but they were very good the other night. Would you bring Robbie Keane or ask him to step aside? It's not my call anymore. <laughs> I had to deal with that one in my time, not for the finals, unfortunately. But uh, would I? Well, I'm kind of a little word with Dion outside about it. I'm kind of looking at it, saying, "Well, the manager doesn't have much trust in him. He talks his ga- talks talks a very good game about him and about his contribution, but that normally means that you pick a fella and you put him into a match. He hasn't put him into any matches in the last, say, five. Uh, the only matches, I think the last match he started was against Gibraltar. Do you say Georgia? I think he started against Georgia as well. Not the, 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 the one we won one nothing. Oh yeah, I think so, yeah. I well, think he did. Well, I, I, looked, I looked it up earlier and I'm pretty sure, uh, unless the thing was, was wrong maybe, he definitely started against Gibraltar, which we must is the have been same stuck. week. Yeah. Uh, was, Walter scored in the end. Walter's also Walter's got the game. goal across the near yeah. post, but you know, he, he scored five goals in the group, three against Gibraltar at home and two in the away one, the other way round. And uh, but after that, he didn't get a go against Bosnia in the big matches. Germany he didn't get a go, and I just don't think that the manager trusts him much anymore. He's talked about it, about his contribution. He's been talking about he's great around the hotel. I, I, I don't know about that whether he is or not. You know, you're not sure that he is great. Well, I don't know. Context. I mean, you know, he's the same as the rest of them, grumpy when he's not picked. 
Um, was he good in your time? Was he not sort of one of the, the guys who... Oh, well, he used to play. He was yeah. 10 years younger and he, he was likely to maybe score or get in around the box or whatever. And, uh, you know, so there was more reason. But, you know, when I took him off in the match, he was certainly grumpy. And um, I, I don't see him as a fella that, you know, all the players would be going to him looking for consolation and advice in, in regard to their role within the team or tactically what they're going to do. I don't see it. But look, I think he'd be in the squad. I don't know why we're talking about it tonight. It'll all be, all be open to everyone tomorrow night. We'll all know by, nearly by this time. Yeah, they're announcing it as it's... I think he's got 90 minutes after the after the game at Turner's Cross to get the team over to UEFA. I'll get the squad over anyway. Will Harry Arter be in, in that panel at this stage? He's an injury doubt now as well. Yeah, I, I think he, he could be out. Um, he's got a thigh problem. And if he was on the margins anyway, if it was a call that O'Neill had to make, I think this probably makes it for him because there's only so many players he's going to risk with injuries. And James McCarthy's probably going to go, even though he's not fully fit. Seamus Coleman played on Friday, but you know he hasn't played. That's his first game in six weeks, so he's bringing a couple who have who have already who have some injury doubts. I don't think he'd, he'd risk Harry Arter as well, which is a shame because he's a good player. Well, our next guest uh, confirmed his retirement from professional football at the weekend after a cracking career in England, thirty-nine caps for his country. He's just arrived in the door. Let's give it up, please, for Stephen Hunt. <laughs> Great to see you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's mostly gentlemen. If you, we, we, <laughs> we've counted earlier on. But uh, one or two ladies around. Listen, Stephen, you've just, you were talking in the Sunday Indoor over the weekend about your decision to uh, step away from the game entirely. You finished up at the end of last year and you're pursuing new avenues. Are you comfortable enough that, you've, that you're happy with the decision? Yeah, listen, I was still enjoying going into training. Why wouldn't you? It's an hour and a half's work with a bunch of lads, a bit of crack and... Uh, I enjoyed other things. I have a life to live after football, so I want to try and get ahead of the game and, and try and progress in, in different careers. You weren't tempted to go down a level to just play it out for a couple more years? Like a I've, lot had of a lads y- do. I've had a year of that. Uh, Didn't enjoy it? Just the age, oh, you're too old and everything that goes with it. And then you're, the manager's asked me to, to be messy in League One and it's just not me, so uh, stick to my simple game and try, and try and be effective that way. But listen, it's... It was really enjoyable. Learned a lot off the manager and uh, on to the next stage. Does that happen when you drop down a division or two that, that they just decide because you've been a Premier League player, if you're coming down to League One, you should be a, a creative superstar, even if that was never your main strength? Yeah, I think so. I think the players expect you to be better than what I was. <laughs> but I obviously have plenty of knowledge and experience of playing the game and have had plenty of rejections and plenty plus points to go with it so trying to tell a young player get your head down you're not always going to be on 300 quid a week if you work hard and some people don't believe you some people do so uh, the ones that listen to you will generally go on and make a better career for themselves we've been talking a little bit about the squad we'll get into a couple of other areas now but Robbie Keane has picked up a calf injury in was training it, I wondered was, was he the kind of player you ever went to for uh, <laughs> an arm around the shoulder when you were, when you were feeling down did that happen? Took me and me and Robbie four years to get on. If, if, I'm, if I'm right in saying, uh, is there any reason? For no, that? there is. It's my fault, actually. My fault. I was a little bit rude to him when I first came in the squad. Uh, I won't say what I said to him just now, but it's too early for that. And 
I think it took why him a while. Why did you insult the oh. captain? <laughs> why did you arrive into the team and insult the captain and, and, and top player? Because it's me. It's what I am, and I do things my way. And I always very subtle. <laughs> you can, you can, it's okay. We're in a podcast situation, yeah, yeah. Stephen. You can, you can. No, no. Give us a gist of what you said, maybe. No. No. Well, just the gist of the situation. And John Delaney's saving stuff for the book, so I'll save some stuff as well. <laughs> but it was, it was four years. Four years of, of a little bit of frost. No, I think Robbie grew to like me in the end. I think he found out that I wasn't all talking. There was a bit of method in my madness to a certain degree. and uh, He's been exceptional for Ireland. No doubt a fantastic goal scorer and player, by the way. Now he's a different player than what he was when Brian had him. He's, he's our best finisher by miles. But if he's not fit, he shouldn't go. Simple as. You uh, were... You, I remember you wrote that amazing piece after Euro 2012, not too long after, uh, about what went wrong there. And obviously we don't have to harp on too much about trap or anything like that. But the players who are still there this time around, is there anything they can learn from what happened four years ago? I think the biggest thing is the first game. It's not to lose it. I know we had a disaster start in the first five, ten minutes whenever Croatia scored and the whole place just, poof, apart from the fans, of course, the players just fell to the ground and it was very difficult to pick ourselves up after that first game. But what I would say, I think the manager is man-managing the players different this time in terms of preparation. Are we changed? Have our style changed dramatically? No, we still play with a consistent shape which is important for us we don't expand on the formation and go on Brian hit me well I don't think the, the shape is clear at all I think the shape is from match to match I'm trying to work out whether it's um, a four with a, a diamond and two up front or it's really four five one or, yeah. I, I think it's very loose I think it's a, I think it could be a big problem for us I, I feel that the intelligence of the players is making us work quite well. Usually John Walters takes initiative and drops out to the right wing mm-hmm. or the left wing and marks a full back yeah. because the diamond in the centre is too tight and, and one of them isn't doing enough, like McGoldrick for instance, yeah. playing as a so wise position. I think the way I see it, the way I seen it the other day in the games, Germany games you're right, the strikers do drop wide I think it's important when we play against Sweden, that we can actually push up because I don't think they can be like Holland and pass around us. I think it is a diamond. You need legs either side of Glen Wheel to be the the anchor of midfield and to cover the back four because I don't think we're we're not blessed in pace anywhere across the back four apart from Seamus and and, and experience-wise. I think John Shea or whoever plays with John Shea can, can deal with Imahimovic. But we've got to play... If we were going to play Wes or McGoldrick, then obviously we've got to have cover. And I think the three centre midfielders... Are need legs and need protection. Talk, talk to us a little bit then. I mean, you're talking about the midfield here, and it seems to be the 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 trickiest area. Maybe it's not even that tricky actually. When you're when you're trying to pick a, a squad of 23, you start running out of options. You know what I mean? Um, well, certainly, if, certainly if Arthur is injured, you're, yeah, you're, you're down one there. It's, it simplifies it, I suppose, a little bit. But um, you obviously sound as though you think Dan Whelan should be should be playing there. James McCarthy is the player that I'm wondering about at the moment. He's also injured or seems to be injured I wonder though is, is he seems to sometimes get niggling injuries when the pressure really comes on maybe five six years ago yes but now I think he's a different player I'd like to think he has a different mentality uh, 
do you pick if you're going to play a diamond do you bring a winger to sacrifice a centre midfielder if Arthur is injured I think Darren Gibson will go if that's the case if he's going to play with no wit then you're going to rely on Johnny Walters coming back into right wing if needed and then two up front whether that's Morph or whoever listen there's, all, there's always ifs and buts what I will say is that you never go into a tournament fully fit 23 players there's always going to be doubt over one or two I was one of them when I played so the big question then you, you mentioned wingers, and you know there's not too many. I mean, there's McLean. Obviously, McLean is, is is usually fit. He seems pretty strong. Aidan McGeady, though, is in a bad situation at the moment. Has been for a few months, uh, club wise, and hasn't really been playing any football at all. And I think in a lot a lot of a lot of countries would have said, "Sorry, you've you've really not done enough over the last few months to get in this squad." Well, Martin um, has a long term relationship with Aidan McGeady obviously going back to his time at Celtic and you know at the start of this group when he, he got through those series of friendly games and Aidan McGeady put the, pulled the two goals out in Georgia particularly the second one when it looked like the match was petering out to a, a draw he got a great goal and we did uh, an event before in December in relation to keeping our coaching badges and Martin was talking part of the course it was the road to Paris and he frequently mentioned Aidan McGeady's contribution in relation to goals. So I think he's a real fondness for him. If you look at McGeady, he took up the challenge of saying, well, I'm not getting a game, I'll go off out on loan. And I think it's your 12 appearances at Birmingham since you got me under Robbie Keane one. Will you check that on your... Oh, Sheffield, Sheffield. Will you check that Wednesday. on your computer? Or, sorry, <laughs> uh, yeah. Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, I think he might have had yeah. 12, 12 appearances for Sheffield Wednesday. So if that... And then he's out of it for the playoffs. But at least he's had activity. Martin likes him. He's abandoned the wingers. He started with the idea of us playing a 4-4-1-1 with the wingers playing. And as the group went along, he abandoned that. Played Aidan McGeady up through the middle in Germany. So, uh, I think Aidan, I've no doubt he's going to be in the squad. What what contribution he he makes. Yeah, even the way... Uh, Martin O'Neill talks about him. He, he's made reference that a few times, I think, Dion, that he's, he, he went away, he tried to get football. And I don't know if that reflects badly, potentially, on Darren Gibson, who stayed at Everton. What do you think is going to happen in midfield? Any surprise omissions? Uh, no, I think the only thing that could affect it is McCarthy again, because if he brings somebody to cover for McCarthy's fitness, then you could have a situation where somebody else misses out. Uh, but that could be a forward. Uh, or maybe even... Um, somebody at the back you know, could he bring Myler instead of Cyrus Christie or something like that but I think McGeady like, the interesting thing with O'Neill and McGeady is that he did say last year as well that he was disappointed that he hadn't uh, that he got injured for the Scotland game and he hadn't talked about his injury and said you know he's got to get you know he's not 22, 23 he's got to you know make the most of his career at this stage so at that point there did seem to be a little bit of kind of you know, irritation with this player who, as Brian says, has been sort of so important to him throughout his career. But, you know, every, ever since the squad got together, every time he's asked about Aidan McGeady, uh, he talks about, you know, you know what, he, what he brings and, as you say, that thing about going away and on loan. But O'Neill is so unpredictable. I think sometimes O'Neill doesn't know... Like, he's shoved back the deadline. This squad is meant to be named on Saturday, and he's pushed it back, and he waits and waits. He waits to name his team. He waits, to, and now he's waiting to name his squad. And sometimes I think he does have a doubt about certain things. Do you think that, Brian? 
Yeah, uh, that seems to be the way because he doesn't tell the players. I understand he doesn't tell the players what the team is until they get to the dressing room, which is a real sign that... Sometimes not even formation. Yeah, I believe that's the truth, that he just sticks the team up on the wall and doesn't tell them what position they're playing. I mean, the Aidan McGeady... In competitive that games. called the, creative discovery. The Aidan McGeady one in Germany was extraordinary when he said he went to Steve Guppy and asked him what position he was playing in the dressing room. I mean, that's just... Mad. And that worries me about us going to the finals tournament because... I assure you, Sweden won't be like that. They'll be disciplined, organised. They'll be in very good nick. The bloke that's the, the fitness, the head of conditioning with the Swedish team is the, the fellow that was head of conditioning, science and technology, all that, with Leicester City. Same geezer. So if he's working with Sweden... Just on the squad, I, in my madness of a dawdle one day, about four months ago, after we'd played the group matches, I picked my squad... I picked 21, who are obvious to me, and I left out two spots for the midfield area. I mean, the back eight are, I think, nailed on the side, as Christie thing. I don't think it's good. Shane Duffy had him in, Robbie Bray, all the obvious stuff. The goalkeeper, I, Darren Rawls. Oh, sorry, that includes Stephen Ward and, as well. And two from three. Stephen Ward yeah, as well, yeah. Obvious, Seamus Coleman, O'Shea, Clark, Ward, uh, Richard Keogh, right, uh, that's obvious stuff. And the middle then, I had six players, which are McLean, McGeady, McCarthy, Whelan, Hendrick, right? Uh, so it's six there. And then I just got, I'd Wes, Wes to make the sixth as a midfield player. And I'd four front fellas, Walters, Kane, Long and Murphy, Daryl Murphy. So you might say now, Daryl Murphy isn't a shoe in. I go, well, how can you pick him against Bosnia in the playoff? He's not a shoe in. And then I've, I have them in red writing here. Two from six. And the, that was, it's still the same. Harry, Harry Arthur, you know, Cain. Darren Gibson, who I'd have put down as number six uh, at that time. Stephen Quinn, David Moyler, Dave McGoldrick. Right, that's, that's, that's the six. And it's two from them. And I think it's still the same thing today. And Martin might hold that till quarter to ten tomorrow night. The only question I think why he's holding is Darren Murphy. He hasn't finished his season with Ipswich. He hasn't played. He's had a reoccurring calf injury that will put everything in doubt until he gets a game. Murph would have been a shoo-in because he played him in most of the games and even Shane Long was an impact sub until, until four months ago until he started playing like Messi. So <laughs> it's obviously an overstatement, but... <laughs> He obviously has been outstanding. Yeah, he's been absolutely incredible. Eric Cantona did an interview with The Guardian lately, and he was talking about this idea of building up to major tournaments. He says, the managers of English players, they don't need to go away for a month before the start of a competition. They lose all their energy. They're all together. They're fed up. The English mentality is turn up three hours before the game, play the game, enjoy the game. It does not mean they're not professional. They're very professional, but it's not in their mentality. As in, it's not in their mentality to stay for weeks on end, uh, building up to a tournament like that. Could you extend that out to Irish players? Uh, and is that the, what O'Neill has to guard, has to, has to concern himself with? I think you can have players together for a month, no problem. But you have to have a break or some kind of relaxed environment where the players can just chill and switch off from football. Sometimes it's like a military operation trying to get out on the trap. It was, can we go for a coffee? No, sir. Okay. What way can we get to a coffee shop? for a half hour and I wasn't talking about alcohol I was generally being Americano with milk and two sugar like so <laughs> and a slice of cake which is, which is what I do which the coffee school used to do but actually Mr. Trapattoni had a problem with that which is his mentality Italian they will live live for it and it's not 
Look, how many people are in a bar tonight? Why do for you, us? Why do you have a problem with people going to have a cup of coffee and? and that's well, what they are. The, the Germans are the same. They have the mentality. But what, what, what could the pro- what could possibly could the problem be? Like well, maybe the cake part. Yeah, you might well, the cake. You know, I mean, lots of cake. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it just seems so. It seems totally unreasonable. I mean, you're you know you're working a certain amount of the day. You're able to. Why shouldn't you be able to go? To totally unreasonable that they couldn't go. Yeah, uh, yeah. They couldn't go out, like. Well, I, 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 don't, I, I don't know you're why. You're saying totally unreasonable that they'd want to. No, I'm saying it seems unreasonable it. to have a problem with people wanting to do something as, as, as well, basic uh, as well, that. Well, it does seem to be the uh, mentality of, uh, of certain coaches from a, a certain background. And obviously, that was the tradition of the Italian way, and players put up with it. But I, I, can't, I can't understand it. I, 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 I mean, it's difficult for players to be stuck around for a long time in training camps and hotels. And one of the things I thought from our point of view that worked well was that <laughs> some of the players would have been used to going to tournaments at the underage level and been at the finals and been hanging around for three weeks. But what Stephen says is right, there's got to be a variety of activities and break-ups and it's also good for the players to get away from the staff for a couple of days and it was something I used to try to do certainly whatever team I had was to give them a couple of days off might be in between two matches and you say, right, we'll finish matches over at six, six o'clock and you're free, I don't need to see you till Monday at lunchtime. I'd prefer it if you all went away. And some of the players would stay in the hotel. They might think it was too awkward to go back to England to or travel. Well, whatever, didn't like going back to... The- <laughs> There are better reasons to stay in the hotel, but, but at least they didn't have to have the staff requirements. So yeah, yeah I think uh, O'Neill is very strong on that. Like, even this week, he said, you know, Thursday is got, you know, when, people, when the media were talking to him and trying to arrange what would happen this week, he's like, there's nothing happening on Thursday. It's got, they're playing golf. Now, what you, that you take golf to mean is, is up to you, but uh, uh, they're not doing anything on Thursday, and he's very good at that. And I remember in, in your piece you did about, about 2012, you said that the, like, the thing with Trap was that you had to... I remember that week you had to go and ask him for a day off, and the difference, as you put in that piece, the difference between like, your boss uh, giving you a day off and you going to the boss and saying, can I please have a day off, is sort of huge. And if you, you feel more rewarded if you're actually given the day off rather than having to go and, and beg for it. Just a relaxed environment, but also with, with Mr. <coughs> Trapattoni, who, by the way, I have huge respect for. He was a lot of shape as well, so the training was always routine. Most days it was starting 11, and the other 11 would go down and do shape on the other side of the pitch, two halves of the pitch. So it wasn't just not being able to get out. It was the training routine of having the mentality which went out the window after five minutes against Croatia. So Yeah. But are we talking, I mean, Dion, Dion hinted at it there, are we, realistically, when we go to the chase, are we talking about letting the lads out for a couple of sessions? I mean, are we talking about booze here? Everybody? <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of looks being exchanged. In, in some players, that? some players like to do it. Yeah. I remember having a conversation with a player. Have a few drinks, Hunty, will you? No, not my style. I want to do it right time in my place. No, you'll enjoy the tournament more. Take it in. <laughs> now, this was two weeks beforehand, so... It wasn't like a tourist night where getting ready for a game on a Saturday. It was at the right time, right place. The lads were having a couple of points. But it wasn't my style. And anyone, I might have a laugh and joke, but when it comes to football, I was quite determined to do it the right way and have that. But then again, I should have had a few drinks. <laughs> Sorry, Ken. How, how did you handle that, Ryan? Because I know Giovanni Trapattoni's approach is to say, don't do it. And obviously people did it anyway. 
What was your approach to it? Um, well, initially I inherited a, a setup where there was a fair bit of a, I'd say, a drinking, I wouldn't say culture, but there was certainly an attraction to being part of the team that when they arrived <laughs> in Dublin on a Saturday, it was considered that, yeah, we're out tonight. And there might be a bit of training tomorrow, but I think we're out on Sunday as well. The match is not... <laughs> so, and we were playing Wednesdays. So I was, you know, coming in trying to change it a little bit and said, look, the Sunday one won't be happening. <laughs> and if it's happening, it'll be in the hotel, in our own hotel, and it'll be over at 11 o'clock. And that's it. And fellas can't go out. It didn't meet with... Uh, great delight, I'd say, among the lads. But, you know, they accepted that it was a bit of a change and there was a change going on in the English game at the same time. And gradually... There was a Genesis report around that time as well. I think everyone was getting a bit... Oh, we've got to reform ourselves. Yeah, well, that was more aimed at the Blazers than the, the personnel of the staff. But interestingly, we had a situation where we had two matches coming up sim this time of the year. Players have had... I think we timed it that they had one week spare before they came in to us and then we were going to go and uh, we played one friendly game. We played a testimonial in Scotland. But anyway, I allowed the players out on, I think it was a Monday night or a Tuesday night and the game wasn't on for another six days. And... Um, I, Kenny Cunningham was the captain and he said, look, I'll, I'll look after. We actually went out for a meal together. That was planned. And afterwards I said I was cool enough if they wanted to go out after that. And they went out and the press did the dog on it. They went to hound on it. Uh, it kind of compared us to being so unlike professional sportsmen and other sports and the Kenny Horling team and Irish rugby team. And it, was, it absolutely was a load of nonsense. But they went as far as, I think the killer was that some uh, lovely photographer guy managed to get a photograph of Robbie's watch as he left Lily's Bardello at 3.50, right? And uh, went for it, big time. And, you know, I went, what, six days before the match, they just didn't get it. The understanding of the balance that the coach has to have this, try to have the morale thing, let them know they're going to work really hard, it's going to be organised, going to be shaped and this one, but it's got to be time out for them as well. And the other things we did, like, I, one time I remember, uh, I went to a fair bit of bother to bring them out, to break it up, to, to bring them to see Mamma Mia, <laughs> now I don't know why they were in place cause it's a good show. but anyway I, I, I went to a lot of bother to organise Mamma Mia had started in the point I went to a fair bit of hassle and Derek McGuinness the, the security fellow and we got prime tickets for Mamma Mia in the middle and it was before we went to Paris for the game remember and uh, we got to, into the show and there's a few grumbly heads on the boys you know so, anyway, the show was very good. At half-time, it was a break, and there was a, a room, it was a kind of a room at the side for the players to go and have, a, have an ice cream and a mineral and so on. <laughs> and some of the, um, the, 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 the actors, what would you call them? The, the, not the crew. Some of the, the, the people who were playing the parts, right, came in, <laughs> right? 
And instead of the players kind of going, Jesus, are doing great, these people started going to the players and asking them for their autograph. And I'm going, but you're the one that are doing the gig tonight. But as it went on, the players began to appreciate it. And the, we had a thing which was, when it comes, end the show, and the encore, wherever it was, Waterloo, or money, 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 we're up and out, right? Our fellas like the money, money, money one. I don't know why, but... Well, it counts it. So that was the signal, up out of the seats, out on the bus, get back to the hotel. But I actually struggled to get them to move. They were all delaying and wanted to be dancing for the money. I, I then go and boy, we had to go boy the stage at the end. And uh, I just thought it was interesting. Last one, this one. So another night, I decided, so this is working. This is working. I'll bring them to something really cultural, right? So I said, I'll bring them to something, you know, we go to the Abbey, Anna, we go and see Brendan O'Carroll, right, in the Olympia. And Brendan, it wasn't quite as big a deal as it is now, obviously. It was still at the stage of, you know, Mrs. Brown's boys or whatever. Again, a lot of grumpy heads. Where are we going? What are we doing? We not just go to pictures like we used to always do. I said, no, we're going to see this bit of culture. You all have a program to... <laughs> you all have a program to read before, and you have to wear your best dress. And uh, we, anyway, we went along. So Brendan and the lads were in grey form, because... I had us sitting up in the in the little um, in the Gowans boxes, you know, like the the, the Muppets, <laughs> and, and we were targets for Brendan. Every joke you get a chance, a sling an arrow at us. The the boys loved it. But it strikes me that well, certainly with on, on the booze side of it, it, it's one of those things where if, uh, as you were saying, you got hammered that time, or, or the team did. But oftentimes it depends. Like it suits a narrative. You know, Scotland were doing well earlier in this campaign, and uh, it became apparent that. There was this booze ban. You know, Gordon Strachan said that he actually told his assistants when he first came in, his, co- his fellow coaches, nobody's drinking here. No coaches. Are, I think they got a bit of a shock at that. Like, nobody, we can't have a couple of glasses of wine and then tell the players they're not drinking. And at the time, this was, oh, this is part of the resurgence of Scottish football. Um, I don't know, maybe they should have taken a drink. But it seems like it, it's, it, it, kind of, it can suit a narrative. If a team isn't doing particularly well, you can say, oh, well, they were partiers. And if they're, you know, if they're, if they're winning, it's all fine. Any winning team can do what they want to a certain degree because it's the latest fashion how to do things so Leicester City as you say they're four four two. Jamie Fardy all of a sudden Shane Long's got five million extra and he's because he can run in behind and the ones that can run fast in behind now are the, are the ones to have so the number 10s are gone to a certain degree so can, that's how it is can the players actually mix with the fans that just you know stroll around I know in, in Sopot in Poland uh, if, if David Ford was out and about quite a lot as you mentioned in the past but most of you boys are going to hold up for, for quite a bit of it yeah listen I think the lads can mix but uh, on a serious note it's very difficult to mix these days because it just goes halfway around the world bef- before you even get back to the hotel room so everyone's stopping you for selfies all that well, kind of thing well it's just social media it's the way it is and Everyone hates it to a certain degree. Everyone loves it, so you have to mix it in the right way. What do you think, Dion? Is there would the squad benefit from being out amongst the supporters? Is that just impossible now? Uh, yeah, I think it's. I think it is probably impossible. I, do, I think they would benefit, though. I think it's it's one of those things. It's a shame that it's gone the way it's gone. That players are are more and more remote from supporters, and supporters see them entirely in terms of of the money that they earn. And it's only when you know, as as players' careers progress and they get older. You tend to kind of could get to know them a bit better, and you see them for people who do, you know, especially international football and Irish footballers. Most of them care about it, and they're not, you know, they're not. It's actually it's almost like the opposite of of, of the past, where when you know in Jack's time and stuff like that, 
you know, that all those players cared, but they also financially, it, made, it meant a lot more to them then because they weren't earning as much money and they could actually, their, their international profile really boosted their, their, their earning potential. Whereas now, it doesn't, it, you know, they, earn, they earn so much money that actually their, the international stuff is just stuff they're doing um, because they, they want to do it and they want to do well at it. Just on, a, on that, I remember getting a video from the missus, she was at a concert and the Irish fans would stand up if whatever sit down. It wasn't good for me because it made me emotional. So this is in, in 2012 during yeah, the Euros. Yeah, yeah. The fans were unbelievable. I think it's important that they maybe do t- get a taste of it when they go for a coffee or whatever they're going to do, but then take a step back because the emotions in check. Keep the emotions ready and ready to go. Brian, when the draw was made, I don't know. Uh, people, I th- think we always get confident when these draws are made, even even four years ago. But when you look at it now, I mean, Belgium are insanely good. Italy will be Italy, and Sweden. They've had this under-20, under-21 European success and they've brought a load of those lads into the squad. Would you be, be concerned or are you confident? Um, I wouldn't be majorly confident, but the fact that three can get out of the group gives us um, a very reasonable chance. Sweden, I see, has been at a similar level. Same results in the group. 1-5, drew three, lost two. It uh, wasn't an outstanding group. They finished ahead of Austria and Russia. Austria have suddenly become almost world beaters on the back of that, winning the group so handily. Um, but, you know, we know what Sweden, it's about Ibrahimovic. He scores 60% of the goals and makes 30% of the rest. And there's not much else. Those under-21 players, yeah, they have a few of them playing the wiki in the middle of the field. The centre-half, Lindelof of Benfica, looks a decent player. He comes in. But, you know, the rest, like, is, is um, Lustig and Olsen, the full-back positions. Berg will be his partner up front, or Gudetti. No great shapes around the middle of the field. Larsons. I don't see them having any great quality, and with... Um, Ibrahimovic, as we know, it can be a good day and bad days with him. He can be like he was the night in Stockholm when we drew nil nil, fairly handily deserved to win the match. I thought that night, or the match in Dublin where he was great and they beat us. But um, so I think it's a very very tight game. I'm just concerned that tactically we get it right and, and, and tactically it's clear and, and that set pieces. Although we've done well scored in a few goals set piece in recent games we're not always very I think it's off the cuff and you might consider that you, you know the story I, I, I don't think there's an awful lot done on the training ground in terms of saying you're marking you're marking you're marking and these are the blokes you're marking and when the list is put up it's too late for them to get the information in it's not done on the training ground in advance that concerns me watched Italy yesterday um I watched the Italy-Scotland match yesterday. No great shape. Still the same boy I was at the back. Buffon, Cialini, Bonucci. We'll kick you as far as we can. All that. You know, still that lot. And not, not an awful lot happening for it up the pitch. Marquisio is out. Verratti's out. A lot of doubts who's going to play through the middle. Zaza, Idair, Pele. But, but, but not brilliant. I could, I could see us getting what we need against Italy, whether that's a draw or a win. I think it's possible. I don't think we'll get out now of Belgium if they hear form. But am I optimistic? I have a 50-50 chance of getting into the top three and getting through the group. Stephen, you want to come in there just on, I think on the tactics and, and how late? Yeah, Martin listen, I, Martin relies on his man management skills more than his tactical 
awareness to a certain degree or an Italian mentality, whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, these are Premiership and Championship players. They're all at a good level. They should be able to see danger, pick up danger. And okay, there might be three or four designed to mark men. Then the rest are see, see danger, see space, and and try and defend the goal from set pieces. But especially when organisation is key, like. All right. Well, predictions. How far are we going to go? And who's going to win? So it's a two-pronged prediction, Dion. Uh, I think we'll get out of the group, but won't get any further. And uh, France. France. Brian. I'll go along with that. Yeah. Okay. Stephen. We need something different for variety, but I tell you what I want. I want the lads haven't played with them and know them, and the scar tissue they have from four years ago. I want them to create history for themselves, knowing what what good lads they are, and hopefully they can. That will then bring the public back to the to the players and the players to the public. And who's going to win the whole thing? Germany. Germany. Ken. I mean, as well. Oh yeah, why not? Uh, Ireland. In the last five minutes, I thought I'd. Ireland to get out of the group. And yeah. Poland to win. The, <laughs> Poland to win the whole thing. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, well, Maybe. It's <laughs> Convincing prediction from Kenny. All right, let's give it up. You've been absolutely amazing. The three of Dion Fanning, Brian Kerr, Stephen Hunt. Thank you so much. Cheers, lads. All right, amazing stuff from the three boys. It's been a hell of a night. Some legends of Irish football. Loads of Euros build up. You had Paul McGrath. But I think earlier on, when I put it out there, you made it quite obvious what you all came here for. So let's bring you a Champions League final edition of... The magpie is renowned as the most intelligent of birds, and 11 magpies would probably have made a better job of this FA Cup tie than humans selected by Steve McLaren. Ken's goals. That was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> the rhythm doesn't suit it at all. Cristiano and El Nino in the home of Cappuccino. Cross and Gavi not too shabby in the midfield roles. Los Pupas played like troopers. They were fierce like barracudas. Then Franco's team with Blancos bought the axe right down. It's Rail and the Grail with economies of scale. Simeone's eyes were stony in the home of Berlusconi. Is it Letty like a Yeti? Lost upon the Serengeti. Sergio Ramos told them vamos with these big, big balls. <laughs> Round of applause, please. Ken's good. Beautiful. Christ. All right. <laughs> yeah, we're going to give away a thousand euro to a member of our audience very shortly. But first, here is Hillbilly Chicken's Kieran Murphy. With a few more sporting highlights from tonight's audience. Shut up, Bone. Well, Murph, this must be really embarrassing for the audience here, eh? Can I, can I just say, this has nothing to do with my soon to be announced Hillbilly's endorsement deal. <sighs> Warm. A little, yeah, a little. Don't put the head down, Mark. Thank you. Tommy Kilgallen uh, writes, I once got stuck in the mud while playing an under-12 Gaelic football match in my native Kerry on a cold, wet day. I had to call for the trainer to come onto the field to pull me out. This happened right in front of the stand. Quite embarrassing. <laughs> embarrassing, Kilgallen. It's Tommy. It's something I know a little bit about. Michael O'Neill, winning the seventh rugby tournament I set up for the school, the school sports day. I bought the trophy and everything, then won it as captain and had to give a gracious speech. Needless to say, my peers were not impressed. Owen Cal uh, cheated my way to bronze medal in the 1500 metres in school sports, hit in the dugouts for two laps, big kick to finish. Nice work, Owen. Man after my own heart. Uh, Jonathan Pearson once got tackled so hard after receiving the ball from the start of match kickoff by a 16 year old Keith Earls, who was half my size at the time, I was a second row with Prez Cork, that I had to leave the field. A harrowing experience, the prick. <laughs> 
Uh, Keen O'Callaghan writes, having broken a finger playing minor championship, I went to, to a selector on the sideline to have a look at it. He then proceeded to dislocate it. Two pins later, we all lived happily ever after. So Keen will now have an opportunity to pay for the surgery to properly well, fix his finger. That's pretty much it for tonight's Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast live in Cork with Rabo Direct. Thanks to Dion Fanning, Brian Kerr, Stephen Hunt and Paul McGrath. Uh, an absolutely massive thanks to you guys in Cork for being so welcome as always. It's uh, Seriously, for years it's been amazing coming down here. So give yourselves a cheer. Why not? Hey. <laughs> uh, reminder, daily Euro 2016 podcast on the way during the tournament starting very soon. Our latest show features Shane Horgan and Jerry Thorney on Connacht's Big Day. Uh, thanks very much, uh, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Uh, get that you, chicken Owen. costume off you. Thank you, Ken. Let's get straight to Hillbillies. Good night, folks. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.